and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. And you will see an extended sermon outline in your program today. I thought earlier during the week that if I was taking notes on my sermon, these are the notes I would want to take. And there were a lot of them. So I thought I would simplify it a little bit for you by at least getting a lot of it out there uh, for you today. And uh, you'll notice, actually, that I'm going to be reading Genesis 21, starting in verse 1 down to 14, but for space limitations, I only printed uh, verses 8 through 14 at the top of the page there. Uh, But this is a great passage of Scripture that winds its way through the rest of the Bible. And uh, here we go, Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave him the name Isaac, gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham, and he was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So far, the reading of God's Word. Have you ever watched a soap opera? You would, probably wouldn't admit it. General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, Desperate Housewives, what uh, the soap opera. Those stories of exaggerated experience, joy, magnified, pain, excruciating, and the organ, at least the old ones in the organ, dun-dun-dun-dun, in the transitions. Genesis 21 is one of the great soap operas 
of the Bible. Oh, it's true, but it's a true soap opera filled with highest highs and delights and joys and deep jealousy and fury and manipulation and punishment and desperation. Back in chapter 17, we saw God promised Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Kings will come from you. And down in verse 16, he promised Sarah, and I will bless her And also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. What a promise. You want to boast about your grandchildren? Kings and queens. Royal descendants. And at last, Isaac is born. Pure joy. And what did we see? All of the human obstacles in the way of this birth are overcome. Old age, we are told Abraham is as good as dead. No problem. Barren, Sarah? No problem. Stupidity and sin in Abraham? No problem. For God has promised. God has purposed. And God's will will be done. And the child of the promise is born. Pure joy, ecstasy, and a celebration on the day that Isaac is weaned. In a world of infant mortality, this child will live, yes. Pure joy. And then, can you hear the Wurlitzer organ? Dun, 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 dun. In the midst of the celebrations, Sarah looks, and she sees the son of the Egyptian woman, Hagar, mocking this promised child. And her face screws up, and the fury rises up, and she says, that is enough, that's it. We're done with them. She's gone. He's gone. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. He will never share in the inheritance And Abraham is distressed. Ta-da! What do I do? Because this is his son. He actually at one point thought maybe he was the one through whom the inheritance will come. It was his plan, and it's kind of, wouldn't that be okay? And God speaks. God speaks. And God takes Sarah's side. And he says, go ahead and listen to Sarah, Abraham. Do what she says. And so, Abraham, though distressed, dun, 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 takes the skin of water and gives her some food and sends her off into the desert. Now, God promises to take care of her, and he does. But if you have the least bit of sensitivity in your soul, you wonder why. Why did God side with the irate, furious, jealous, petulant Sarah? Why? And frequently in the Bible, we 
come to those times when we say why, and sometimes God doesn't explain why to us. And, you know, part of the Christian life is living by faith, trusting God for what we don't understand because of what we do understand. And there are, there are certain mysteries and difficult things of the Bible we're still wrestling to try to understand it all perfectly. That's part of the journey of the Christian life. But in this case, in fact, God tells us that this event has a very deep and important significance for the Christian life. And according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, which if you know your little New Testament books, you know is a tiny little epistle of thunder and lightning as Paul is trying to preach the doctrine of justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, that in the midst of making his case, uh, point after point, hammering at home, bolts of lightning, flashes of thunder as he's writing. Before he finishes, he says, let's go back to Genesis 21 in order to understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There was, a ch- there was a problem in their church at Galatia. And you know what? It's a problem in this church on Long Island. And it's a problem in every church that has existed in every age, which is why God gave us the New Testament and the book of Galatians. It's a serious and dangerous problem. What is it? It's this. It's people trying to be justified and acceptable to God by law. In Galatians 5, verse 4, Paul says, You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Is that a problem? Is that a big problem? That's a big problem, to fall from grace, to be alienated from Christ. No, I come to church. I don't want to be alienated from Christ. You who are trying to be justified by law have fallen from grace. You are alienated from Christ. And what he does then is in Galatians 4, 21 through 31 that I print in your outline there, Paul reaches back to this very event In Genesis 21, and he says, pay attention. And he does three things for us. You're going to have to work hard with me. The screensaver goes up, put it back down. You're going to have to pay attention to me here. He presents this passage, and then he explains why it's so crucial for you and for me, and then he applies it uh, down in verses 28 through 31. So he, he he just says... Those of you who don't remember the passage that I just read to you, and the soap opera that I explained, he said, um, for those of you who still think that you can be justified by virtue of your performance in keeping the rules of godliness and the law of God, I want you to think back. Tell me, look at the verse, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman 
was born as the result of the promise. Clearly, he's pointing to say the, the way of the promise is the better ones, but he's just laying it out in those verses. And then after he presents this to reminding the Galatian people, then he explains to us what he wants us to understand in this illustration. See if you can get, a, get on board with this. Verse 24 and 25. Look at it there. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Mm. Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. And so, in this arrangement, Hagar stands for the old covenant established at Sinai, that administration of Abraham's children during that period when there was a works principle governing the nation of Israel. Obey and live in the land. Disobey and the land will vomit you out. And guess what happened to national Israel? Now, individuals were always saved by faith, saved by grace. But in that Sinai covenant made with the nation as a whole, at Deuteronomy, you know, Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, the nation as a whole, there's a works principle operative there. And that works principle is one of slavery. Why? Because they cannot fulfill the law. Try the best they can. They fall short. This is one form of religion, and it's represented by Hagar. Now, he says, let me tell you about Sarah, what she is like, verse 26. And this is difficult. Galatians 4, 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written. And he, he's going to... He's, going to, he's jumping... To Isaiah 54, the passage that Martin read for you earlier, he says, let me tell you what Sarah is like. She is like that wonderful barren woman of Isaiah 54 who will have so many children by grace, unexpected, miraculously, that she's going to have to open up the tent pegs and hire a contractor and extend her house and build a big addition this way and a big addition that way and a big addition that way. So many children this desolate woman is going to have. And she's going to be filled with joy because of the grace of God. Be glad, O barren woman. Sarah was the barren woman. So is the woman of Isaiah 54. There's the, the, the uh, connection there. Who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And so Sarah, the free woman stands for the new covenant enacted on Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ and her son Isaac. Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac stands for all who are the true children of Abraham, the true children of the promise, down through the centuries and through the ages. They are symbols. And they are even back in Genesis these symbols. So now on a superficial level, Isaac and Ishmael are the same. You know how they're the same on a superficial level? They have the same daddy. Abraham is their father. And so Jews and 
Christians both could say, Abraham is our father. Paul says here, if you really want to know, if you're really a Christian, then you need to answer two questions. Who is your mother? And in what way were you born? Hmm. Remember Pedro Martinez a couple years ago? Yeah, he lost to, the, lost to the Yankees, pitching for Boston. And what did he say that night? Anybody remember after the game? He was beaten so soundly, he said, the Yankees are my daddy. And so now every time he would pitch, the crowds would chant, uh, you know, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Well, Pedro, I'm sorry. The question is not, who's your daddy? Not the question that matters. The question today is, who's your mama? Is your mama Hagar and the way of slavery, the way of religion by performance, by obedience to the law so that somehow God is pleased enough with you? Or is your mother Sarah? Is your mother the miraculous one? And is your birth that miraculous birth? And Isaac points forward to the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ centuries later, and then the spiritual rebirth that happens to all who know Jesus Christ. Who's your mother? What way were you born? Are you with me on this? This is what Paul is saying to the church at Galatia and to the church through the ages. And so he presents it, he explains it, and now in verse 28, he applies it for you and for me to ponder. And he says, you can print it in your program, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. Now, this is really interesting. Okay, we can imagine a middle school boy being naughty and being rude and mocking somebody, I suppose, not in this church, but, yeah, okay, it might happen. But what he's saying here is that Ishmael, who stands for religion by works, religion by performance, religion by rules, does look down his nose. He looks down his nose and mocks the humble Christian who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And the church in every age is filled with people who start out reveling in the grace of God, and then something happens and they get in their routines, and they start to feel superior, and they get into their rules, and they start to have their sense of superiority. And I go through my ritual, and I'm superior to the one who doesn't go through my ritual. And I have my standards, and I look down my nose at the one who doesn't have my standards. And suddenly, I am holding hands with Hagar, and I'm alienated from Christ. At 
that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? And all of a sudden, Paul gets in his soap opera. And he, you want to know why God agreed with Sarah? I'll tell you why. Now we know why. Because she said, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid of every impulse inside of you to justify yourself, to make yourself the reason by your virtue of your performance that God would accept you. God, I thank you that I am not like that publican over there. I thank you that I am not like that unclean person over there. Paul says, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. And this, this is going to be very upsetting to many, many people on the judgment day. Because many, many people on the judgment day are going to be saying, I can't wait to receive my inheritance for my superior performance to all those unclean people over there who didn't do my rituals and, and meet my standards and follow the rules of religion that I thought about. I'm ready to receive my inheritance. And the words of Sarah will come and indict them, for they will never receive the inheritance. Now we know, so that today we may not fall away from grace and seek to be justified by law. Let me ask you a question now. Okay, I'll, I'll put it like this. Why, why did you come to church today? Did you come to church today because you had to? Maybe some of you did. Why did you come to church today? Did you come to church today because you had to? Someone made you come. Because you had to. It's the rule. It's, it's the law. That's, that's why I'm here. Is that why you came? Then I'll tell you who you're sitting with. You're sitting with Hagar. Hagar's right on your lap. Why did you come to church today? Did you come to church today because you wanted to? Because you are free to? Did you come to church today because the grace of God has touched your heart and your life and you saw the miracle, the miracle of the Christ child, the miracle of Jesus Christ born, alive, dead, and raised from the dead? And you experienced the miracle of his love for you, and you, you woke up this morning and you said, I have got to lend my voice to the company of praise that's there in that little building in Oyster Bay. I've got to be there because I want to be there. And I'm free to go. My heart is free. Why are you here today? That's why you're here. I pray that's why you're here. 
And maybe you're saying, okay, John, I, need, I really need communion today. I need God to do business with me on this. That I, that I have this Galatian problem, and Hagar is sitting on my lap far too often, seeking to be justified by law, seeking to prove something to somebody by my own performance. You know, Martin Luther, he was a volcanic kind of guy, and he used to say, beware the black devil. You know who the black devil is? The black devil was the devil that tempted, tempts you with pornography and tempts you to curse with blasphemy and and. And when you see that there's money available that's not yours and, that, and he entices you and you steal the money, that's the work of the black devil. But then Luther says, but did you know that there is a white devil? And the white devil wants to destroy your soul, but he does it oh so subtly. And what the white devil does is he, he even comes to somebody who's sitting here today who says, you know what, Pastor John asked me why I'm here. Did I come because I wanted to? Yes, I did. And then the white devil comes to you and whispers in your ear, oh, well done. <laughs> You're so much better than those people that are still in bed today. Congratulations. You know, that's why you will receive your inheritance. And Luther says, the white devil is just as dangerous that's letting Hagar sit on your lap and caress the back of your head and say, yes, oh, you're just so great. George Whitfield writes in his book on the methods of grace. George Whitfield says, listen, if you're going to be a true Christian, you need to repent of three things. And we, we, the first thing is what we always think of when we think of becoming a Christian and living the Christian life. We need to repent of our sins. Yeah, those, those ways in which we transgress the holy law and the holy character of God. And, and those are violations of God. And so, as His Spirit convicts us of these, we turn from them, we repent of them. And so we should. But then Whitfield says, and you also need to repent of your righteousness. What, what do you mean, George? What do you mean by that? He's saying you need to repent of dating Hagar. Do you see that there? You repent of your self-righteousness. Be suspicious of your best duties and performances, he said. They are often like Adam and Eve putting on their fig leaves. And then a typo in your outline there. It should read, be suspicious of the impulse of your heart, which says, I will reform myself. And so Whitfield says, before you can repent of your sins, you also have to repent of your righteousness. That is, get rid of the slave woman. Am I clear about this? And her son, because they'll never receive the inheritance that way. And then thirdly, Whitfield says, repent of your lack of trust in Christ's righteousness. And he says, do I trust in the sufficiency of the cross? Do I trust in the imputed righteousness of Christ reckoned to my account? And Whitfield says, once you have settled these matters, then you can speak peace to your heart. And I love that. 
This is, this is deep stuff. But this is why God spoke on behalf of Sarah and said, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Paul tells us she is symbolic of that which will destroy our souls. You who would be justified by law, guard yourself. You will fall from grace. You will be alienated from Christ. Instead, run to the barren woman. And that's what we do in communion now. We come to the Isaac, the greater Isaac, Jesus Christ, the, the miracle, great miracle child, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who lived and died and rose again for our salvation, who's coming again to judge the quick and the dead. Oh, yes. And since we know him now, we love him. Not so that he loves us back. Not so that he will take us home. But because he has first loved us. Does that make sense? This is the gospel. We are seeing the gospel in the life of Abraham again. So, let's now go to the Lord's Supper. Let's invite him to do business in our hearts. If Hagar has crept up onto your lap, this is a time for you to look at ways you have become proud, self-congratulatory, self-righteous. I'm the first in line, friends. I am the first in line to repent today. Where can he do business in your life today? Has the white devil been whispering and seducing you and congratulating you? You shoo him off, shoo him away. And you trust in the greater, greater Isaac, Jesus Christ alone, for your salvation today. Let us pray. Oh Lord, I am humbled by my own sermon. And I want to get in line, first in line, to say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Because I love it, Lord, when I am given these congratulations in my soul. You deserve the inheritance. But now we look to the cross. We look to the one, the only one who was without sin, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the true Son of the promise. And we find our salvation in Him. Heavenly Father, some of us, some of us, and I, this is me, I'm going to confess publicly, sometimes I think that having a clean house, having everything nice and tidy at home, is right next to godliness, and sometimes I even think it is godliness. Cleanliness is not godliness. And I ask you not, when I have that impulse, Lord, you would shoo away Hagar. Some of us think that having the perfect family is my righteousness. Lord, forgive us for that. What is the way that you need to be 
disabused of Hagar in your life. Your law-keeping, your rule-keeping, as though that was your salvation. Lord, some of us have reputations that we love even more than we love you. And instead, we just, we just want to give you our own reputation. What if somebody were to think that I was a Jesus freak? We give our reputations to you. Come now as we distribute the bread and the cup and minister to us. Lord, break our hearts, we sang. Break my heart for what breaks yours. We sang that line. We see Sarah's vehemence and Paul the Apostle's vehemence. Get rid of the slave woman. or She will never share in the inheritance. Show us your forgiveness then. That there is forgiveness. And there is new cleansing and rejoicing. In the gospel, in Jesus' name, amen.